I'm speaking with uh, composer Tree Adams, uh, whose vast array of projects have demonstrated his versatility and voice as a composer for film and television. Uh, some of Tree's work includes Californication, Franklin and Bash, Perception, Legends, and the recently uh, recently the hit series The 100, which is currently in its third season on the CW. Tree, thank you so much for chatting today. Thank you. Good to be here with you. So to start off, I would uh, love to know, kind of maybe rewinding back the clock, what, what was that initial spark for you that kind of uh, made you want to focus your career path as a film and TV composer? Kind of what made you say, yep, this is what I want to do for a living? Well, I think I had been a, a touring musician for a while. I've been in a, in a rock band for about 10 years, traveling, doing a lot of the same sound, essentially kind of, uh, you know, band ensemble, guitars, bass, drums, kind of bluesy stuff. And I had been classically trained when I was a kid and played in orchestras and stuff. And I kind of was craving a little bit of a wider palette. And I just, I thought it might be interesting to sort of not have to be the same guy every night and to kind of get to look into some of these other styles and music. That band, uh, the Hatters, which we made a few records on Atlantic Records, in our last record that we were making, we had the opportunity to write uh, a piece of music for a, for a film. I remember the director, Brad Siberling, was working on this movie, and he, he brought in, you know, it was a VHS tape at the time <laughs> for us to work to, and we, we did a little music to a picture and I thought wow that's fun and it was sort of this barrel house like stride piano thing and we had to arrange uh, horns with the uptown horns and it's kind of almost a Dixieland vibe and I just thought well it's really fun to kind of inhabit this other musical style and to kind of work to picture and the magic of that dialogue and I, I thought that was really cool and then my band you know was sort of We'd, we'd kind of run out of road. I think we'd we'd been touring for so long, um, you know, and it was kind of we had a cult following, but it didn't quite, you know, transform into like rock stardom. Right, right. And you know, we kind of uh, wound up. I think it was about 1996 in New York, sort of looking for the next chapter. And then I remember um, I met some people who were who were doing this composing thing and they, they were using a computer to, uh, you know, play samples and, and were able to kind of by themselves, like in a room, do the sounds of a whole orchestra and all this. And they were doing a lot of commercial work. Um, and I thought, wow, that could be kind of interesting. And then, uh, so I did, you know, take the plunge and bought a bunch of gear that I didn't know how to use, which was really frustrating and that was also like i think before the technology got as stable as it is now i mean it was like really the wild west i feel like when you when you are talking about these computers with tiny little processors and no memory and um so that was an adventure <laughs> in and of itself and uh and then i had a, a buddy who had gone to high school with who was making his first movie my friend Sam Sokolo, and he asked me to write the music for it, and I thought, well, all right, I'll try it. Gave it a whirl. We did our best. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then I think it, it, it sort of presented itself to me as like, okay, well, this is, this is probably the best way to, you know, this is, this is, this is the new chapter and this is probably the best way to actually, uh, get the opportunity to, you know, play different styles of music, grow, learn. Right. And so I, I dove in and then I think, uh, my wife Delphine, uh, she and I were, uh, you know, just living together at the time. And I think we got married the following year, 97. And we were like, you know, I think there's more work in Los Angeles. Let's go try our luck out there. So that, that was kind of uh, the next step. And then, uh, you know, I don't know how many years we are later, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's working out, I think, so... It's, it's worked out. It, it's definitely not an overnight thing. I mean, oh, no, we, no, yeah. That's almost 20 years, right? <laughs> right, yeah. So, so, were you, I mean, when you were in that in that space of, of bands and touring and kind of getting in and kind of discovering this world, were you aware of film music prior? I mean, you said you are classically trained, so did you kind of grow up latching onto any movies or scores that oh, really spoke to you? Definitely. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I had the Star Wars soundtrack when I was a kid, and I, <laughs> I you know, wore the needle out on that thing. Close Encounters. Oh, yeah. I had all that going. <laughs> uh, and even, frankly, look, I mean, I'm not a big theater music guy, but, I mean, Annie, the, the Annie soundtrack, the Grease soundtrack, when, when we were kids, that was, that was ubiquitous. Right, yeah. Um, and so that kind of stuck with me. I just think you know. I think in the in the in the seventies there was, there was also music being made that was like slightly more cinematic. Like you had more like, uh, you know, big string and horn arrangements on stuff. Like right. I, I was a big Randy Newman fan. That was like one of the first. You know, I remember buying Little Criminals when I was a kid, <laughs> and, and you know all those arrangements. You know, he's got horns and woodwinds and you know full full blooming strings and everything in there. It's pretty deep, and uh, you know, so I think that was kind of fertile ground for it. Um, and then in terms of you know getting hooked on actual scores, I got to say I was also big into TV scores. I loved like the theme songs, oh, yeah. all these things, you know, and Magnum PI and. You know, Star Trek. I was a huge Trekkie. Loved <laughs> that that score. Um, so it, it wasn't just the film music. Um, and frankly, like Rocky, when that movie came out, I mean, not only was there, you know, uh, the the huge um, fanfare for you know the score, right? The, right, right. Da -da -da, which is like one of those iconic, you know, yeah. memorable scores. But then I remember like. When they made the sequel, they had didn't they have a it was like Eye of the Tiger, you know they had they had they had songs that they were featuring as well, and then I think it really became a big thing to have like soundtracks with songs on them. Right, you know, right. They really really kind of started in after that. Yeah, and well, I mean now you're in it. You're composing film and television, and your uh, your most current project is of course uh, the 100, which is uh, now three seasons in, and it seems like the type of show that I mean. It must be a must be heaven for a composer because it feels so it's such a rich and detailed world. What was the goal for the music of the series? What was the intention that the the series, I guess, needed musically? Well, I, I just come to it this year. I'm new to it. This is this is the third season. I'm new to it. Um, you know, I think 
one of the things you find in this particular show is that, you know, as with many of these kind of, uh, you know, sci-fi kind of genre pieces, it's a new world. They're creating their own world. So that, that affords you a huge opportunity as a composer because it's such a blank slate. Right. Um, now, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, because it's a genre piece and there's so many of these other things that have come before and, and the sort of, shall we say, like the fandom is kind of tuned into, like there's a lexicon in place already. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually really wise to, you know, uh, pay homage to some of the other things that have come before and to like, you know, basically a- add some new things to the lexicon, but know that you're working in a tradition. I say that, you know, thinking, okay, you know, we talked about Star Trek. Okay, that's, to me, a classic. Some of those right, themes, right. you know, the way that they're kind of these sweeping themes, some of the kind of register moves that they do going up high with these vocals up there with the, you know, soaring strings and then, you know, employing synths in such cer- certain kinds of ways. You know, that's one thing. Now you've got stuff like The Walking Dead or, you know, uh, Battlestar Galactica um, that have given you kind of like other takes on it that people are aware of, uh, employing lots of exotic, you know, world instruments and stuff to kind of give a sense of otherness far away. Um, And I think one of the things at the root of a lot of these sci-fi things is that it's, it's about the the human experience, right, right. you know, having been sort of transported out of out of where we are now. It's like how does how do the humans fare in the future? How do the humans fare like on some space station? And so, giving a human element to things is something kind of. Uh, It'll give it soul, and, and, and it's the thing that, that is intriguing to people because it's like we're imagining, okay, this is a future where there's an apocalypse and we're all screwed and we're all, like, you know, clawing at each other to survive. Right, you know, what right. is the, how do the humans fare? And, and so there's, you know, you can do a lot with the music to try and, like, you know, give it that warmth and that, you know, that feeling of... Uh, I don't know, something that, that we can relate to, but in an alien context, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think with the 100, I mean, that's, that's uh, I'm doing that all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, when you're scoring a television show, uh, I don't, uh, are you approaching it kind of, I mean, do you, I'm sure you're, you have the series, I mean, the, you have that season kind of mapped out for you. Are you kind of tackling it one episode at a time, or do they give you kind of a, overview of the entire season arc so you can kind of build the music to fit the whole season yeah there's no way i could do it one episode at a time (laughs) for this particular one because part of i think why they brought me in was to to try and give more of a thematic component to the storytelling Mm -hmm. and to try to help delineate uh between certain you know uh, worlds and clans that we have right, and right. to help also underscore some of the, the different story arcs, obviously. So I've had to kind of keep reading the scripts and kind of figuring out how uh, 
you know, some of these characters, like what kinds of themes we're going to need. You know, does everybody get a theme, or does that become Peter and the Wolf, you know? Right. Or, or maybe rather than giving individuals a theme, maybe we give, like, a relationship a theme, you know? Um, like, we have... And I can't really go too in-depth because it's early in the season. Right, right. Spoil it, but you have these sort of... Uh, you know, there's there's a theme of mentorship. Sort of like, you know, Luke with the, you know, with the dark side and Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, there's a little bit of that in play at some point. So rather than it being like that character's theme, it's kind of like this, it's the force, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the dark side and the force, you know. Um, and then I think one thing that's really been useful is like creating a singular sort of heroic theme. Mm-hmm. that can be reprised in different ways for all the different characters, you know. Right. Um, but the the one that's really fun, honestly, is bad guys. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, bad guys come and go, and, and you can always, like, give them, you know, something exciting and fun to play with. And <laughs> there's just such, such an open territory there, you know. Right. So- um, and that's the one that actually is the hardest, to, for me, it's the hardest on this show to do without seeing them because the visual really informs a lot. You know what I mean? Sometimes they show up like, and, and I'm, you know, like I, I read it and I'm just like, okay, it's just a name and I see, oh yeah, they're doing something horrible. Yeah, they're a bad guy. But when you see them, you know, and they're adorned with like some crazy headdress and, you know, and the way they're made up with the scars and the freaking, you know, battle accoutrement you're like it really tells you what what it's got to sound like <laughs> right so i mean you're pulling all that stuff from the, the visuals and and that's kind of informing i guess the the sound of your music too big time um and so to that effect because i don't get you know picture that far in advance uh i actually i asked uh, the folks in the writer's room to send me uh some stills that they had taken when they were up on the set mm-hmm, yeah. of some of the costumes and some of the sets and it, that was really helpful to me so so looking at just uh <coughs> at, at uh, well, the 100 but also any of uh, your your series you know it could be um like legends or anything but what aspect of of a film or a tv show appeals to you i guess the most as a composer i mean kind of what in, what's the first thing that kind of starts to inform your process or your music? Would it be the characters, the plot, the setting? I mean, what really kind of jumps out first and goes, tells you kind of like, okay, this is the direction I need to go in? Well, I think usually it's, there's a character, you know, like there's a main character or something. I think it could be any of those things you just said. Right, right. But, you know, and and I think it's different per project because some project, you know, some projects they rely on a different vehicle. Right, right. Um, it could be, you know, if it's about an ensemble cast, maybe it's kind of a little bit about that banter, and maybe it's just the setting. Um, you know, as I said, with the 100, there's a look and feel to this thing. You know what I mean? The characters, they themselves are pretty powerful, but it's sort of like, you know, with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars or something, when you look at this, you know, when you look at the world, the world is telling you something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, same thing. You look right, at it, it's right. like, it's it's rich and it just is begging for, you know, big battle brass or you know, big taiko drops. <laughs> um, so the, the, you know, it, it really it varies I think per project. But I, I would say across the board, looking back, like it, you know the 
stuff I've worked on, usually there's a character, you know, and that character, like the lead character, they they kind of have a thing that you got to follow, you know. I mean, when right, I just did right. this one, Legends, you know, Sean Bean, he has this kind of, you know, tough, stoic thing. It's like, I don't know, it just, it, it wanted... Uh, this melody with a little flat six in it, <laughs> and that that interval to me, it just like it needed to it needed to be that for this guy, and uh, that was the first thing that jumped out at me, and that became like this little motif that we have in the main theme, and then it became something that we did with orchestra, we did it with oud, we did it with like you know every possible instrument, and it just somehow it, it just felt like that's our guy. Um, for Californication, I remember, you know, seeing the first things we saw, <clears throat> it was like David Duchovny has this whimsicality about him, you know, where he's just flipping the bird to everyone. And <laughs> I don't know, there was something about whistling and and slide guitar that had this portamento thing to it that just, it was the whimsicality. Something Something in that was all we needed to kind of capture his essence and you know and then we put all of the kind of attitude in the rock and roll in it and then it, it you know it just felt natural you know right. um but yeah that's usually you know there's something like that i remember i did this show perception where i got to do an orchestra for every episode it was uh eric mccormick played the the lead role and he was like a uh, a neurologist uh, 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 not a neurologist. He, uh, yeah, he was a neurologist with uh, a schizophrenic, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was basically he was on the verge of madness the whole show. And you know, I, I started playing around with different sounds, and I got some synth going with like uh, different meters bouncing off against each other, and it 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 would once in a while, like every you know twelve times around or something it would like kind of line up but it was just it was sort of sneakers in a dryer but it was also sort of sounded like electrons firing (laughs) and that became kind of the seed for you know his character there was this kind of like high-pitched almost bell-like neurons popping around and that we just laid that underneath orchestral stuff and you know anything we needed propulsively with like bass pulses and stuff and it was just perfect it just suited him and it was done so that's that's the kind of thing i think you look for you know that's i mean that's that's extremely interesting yeah it's just awesome how you uh find those things you know just those nuances and kind of turn them into these kind of textural uh, translate them texturally into the music kind of thing that's really cool (laughs) i think i think a lot of times like you know as a composer you feel like you're you're like a jeweler, you know, you have like, you have to, you know, you have to figure out what the, the, that precious stone is that you're going to feature for, you know, your, your story or your character. And then you, then it's a question of the setting, you know, you just have to kind of figure out how you're going to set it and and you just keep kind of making that one piece. (laughs) That's a good analogy. I never heard that one before. It was good. Um, But to, to, to wrap, to wrap up, I always like to uh, ask this, question to composers and uh so it's a kind of a general question not related to anything but if you could score any film ever made pretending the original score never existed 
Which film would you choose? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to go with Chinatown. Wow, that's an awesome choice. <laughs> Chinatown. And it was done well. It was, <laughs> it was yeah. Done, oh, you can't it was talk, already done really well. Can't talk Jerry, yeah. That's a, <laughs> but that's a, yeah, so, I mean, that film noir, that kind of, that's, that's, that's an awesome thing. I love film noir. It's yeah. just, I love it because it's, as I said, it's like, it's, it's been done to death. Right. Um, it's sort of like the blues of, of filmmaking. Yeah. It, it, and it's like, okay, we, we only got like in the blues, it's like, we all know the chord progression already. You can vary it a little bit, but we basically know what you're going to do. Right. Okay. <laughs> let's see what you got in this sort of framework. Yeah, <laughs> I feel yeah. like, I feel like uh, film noir is a little bit that way. And it's like, you, you, you know, we've all read this, the, you know, Philip Marlowe, we know what's what's gonna happen here. Mm-hmm. It's tragic, it's you know, it's it's rough and tumble, it's you know <laughs> but what's your take on it? How are you gonna shine through it? What's your voice in it? I kinda like it for levels of playing field. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an awesome answer. Uh but Tree, thank you so much for your time today and it was such a pleasure to speak with you and, and it's uh, it was incredibly insightful, so thank you so much. Right on guy, good talking, man. <laughs>